Shelby and Matt. And if you could just like intercut that with some and like, you know, I think that'll help elevate the tension of this introductory uh, moment. See, I was going to try to cut the tension by jumping out from behind a taxi cab and doing the most ludicrous Albert Einstein accent that I could possibly uh, put together. But he was from, where was Einstein from? Germany? Germany. Is that where he was at? A weird... So, you know, so I saw a tweet Einstein. about that and I didn't even notice that like in the movie. It didn't even like phase me. I was so irritated by everything else. All the all the Einstein parts. I mean, we'll get into that. I wanted I could talk about Einstein for 75 hours. Okay, I feel let's like, do or, it. Yeah, let's but, only talk about Einstein, please. <laughs> but like he's a figure that I like he just looks goofy and yeah, so I don't know I, yeah I don't know what your like how you go about that in a movie especially one as serious as Oppenheimer to like make him not funny because everybody everything else in this movie is deathly serious and then you have Einstein whenever he pops up and he just looks bizarre and <laughs> it just did not it did not and, even face and, me. and like and so the I went and saw this at a packed press screening it was in IMAX like it was gigantic there were tons of people in New York and these are like film people you know not like random people and literally every time Einstein showed up people would laugh and then there's a scene like partway through the like towards the end where I can't even remember what's happening but somebody's getting out of like a car and then the car pulls away and Einstein is like randomly on the grass behind the car and everyone in the theater burst out laughing like it was It was so ridiculous. And then when it got to the final moments of the film, which I mean, again, we'll get to. And like, it's all focused on Einstein. I'm like, ah, you got like, this is, it's like taking, I don't even, it's like, it's like dressing someone up like a clown and putting them in the middle of like saving private Ryan. It's like, it doesn't, it's so it's totally bizarre. I feel like, yes, but he just looks so weird. But that's how he looks. It's not like a costume. That's just who he is. But I feel like that they should have done something to like make it less cartoony. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I really didn't. I was like trying to notice these jump scares because I love a good, you know, I love, I love piling on. I love a hate train. Um, but that just never yes, even you were, like, stuck out to me. But you hated the entire thing. I did. We I knew mean, that you were going to hate this. Yeah. And it's not like I went in expecting it to be a bad film. Like I didn't go in thinking like this is going to be tenant levels of like illogical, Rude. poorly made, Rude. not like fun. No. Nothing like that. Um, Tenet's great. I love Tenet. <laughs> I'd rather watch Tenet. I love Tenet. I'd rather oh. talk about Tenet oh. again. Oh. <laughs> That could be arranged. Um, yeah. But it's more like as this movie as this movie like was coming out and the discourse was starting, I just realized my main issue with it is that I just I just you don't, don't like I don't Nolan. think it needs to exist. I don't think well, I don't care. Like I just yes. don't I just don't care. And like no matter how well made, well acted, well like directed, whatever, I just have issues with this that go beyond Oh, the artistry. Like, I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't care. I yeah. just don't, I don't care. Okay, we will unpack all of this. We're talking about Oppenheimer this week, which is <laughs> yeah. Christopher Nolan's latest movie. His previous work includes Tenet, Interstellar, Inception, The Dark Knight trilogy, Dunkirk. Um, I feel like t- Christopher Nolan in general sort of has like a couple of modes that he goes in. One is the, are these more sort of like high concept sci-fi type things like Interstellar or Inception or Tenet. And then he's also more recently been doing 
these sort of like more straightforward historical dramas like Dunkirk and now Oppenheimer. He um, thinks, where can I find the whitest cast and get away with it? And then he does a movie about yeah, that it time is, It is – there's a lot of concerning things I feel like about this movie. <laughs> it's about J. Robert Oppenheimer, who in like invented sort of whatever came up with, worked on the atomic bomb that was then used to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan at the end of World War Two. After the end of World War Two, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um the Oppenheimer is the only person who is that's the only real name that I will be remembering for the entirety of this <laughs> podcast. He's played by Killian Murphy in the movie. There's yeah. also approximately 7,000 other famous actors <laughs> in this and they all play real people, you know, scientists, politicians, senators, judges, whatever. I could not be bothered to remember a single one of these real people's names. I'm sorry to them. Sorry to all of these white men living Strauss. in the 40s. But Str- Strauss. Gene. Yes. Gene. <laughs> I have a list right here. There's somebody named uh, Groves. Yeah. Ernest There's Lawrence. Einstein. Like this is a game that we Niels yeah. Bohr. Like who played that? No idea. Boris Harsh. Like these are apparently real people. Um, Yeah. The only person not played by a famous person was Einstein. I mean, he's he's famous. He's not like a big star, have, but it's not I've like he's never picked heard up of off him. the street. Tom Conti? Oh, I guess he was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. For what? <laughs> I don't know, Matt. Your, your knowledge of yeah, films no. is admittedly limited. He's so. received numerous accolades, including a Tony Award, yeah, as well as so nominations for an Academy down, Award, you know? <laughs> a BAFTA, and two two Golden Globes. And justice for Einstein, honestly. Um, okay, yeah, no, he there received a lot of... an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in a movie called Ruben Ruben. I don't know. I mean, there's what, 100 years of Oscars? What is that? And I have to figure out where. I want to say we're getting lost in the weeds here, but honestly. You're like, no, let's stay in the great. weeds. Yeah. I loved Ruben <laughs> where, what Ruben. Else <laughs> Tell me more. Who was he married to? Um, yeah, no, it, it's definitely a packed cast. I remember when this movie was announced. I remember. Uh, when the cast started lining up and people were like, wow, that's a, that's a very white lineup. You know, it's not one you see usually these days. Um, and everyone it was, was a like, 1983 oh. comedy drama. Ruben, okay. <laughs> no Ruben, Ruben. And I say that as someone who cares Oh, sort of based on Dylan Thomas, the poet. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Um, so yeah, it, it was known to be a big movie because Christopher Nolan, you know, he's, he's at that like Venn diagram of like accessible auteur. Like he's seen yes. as a very serious, uh, craftsman. And obviously there's a lot of proof to that. He has very interesting ideas. He's like what M. Night Shyamalan wishes he could be. Yes. Um, and so it was known it would be a big deal. It would be a great film. Um, and then the interest around Barbieheimer obviously also brought a lot of attention to it. So a lot of people were on board. A lot of people went to see it. It's still performing very well. You know, it's like at the 400 million mark. Um, and it's like very well made. You know, Christopher Nolan can make a very beautiful film. And the score will be loud, but it's also beautiful. And... It's like, oh, wow, interesting choices to be had. <laughs> but this is like his first biopic in the traditional sense. Like obviously Dunkirk featured a lot of real characters as well, but it was more about the essence of the day um, and the experience at large for a lot of different players. So it wasn't a singular person. But this, he wrote it in first person. So like the whole screenplay is in first person, which is just the beginning of the eye rolls for me. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's Oppenheimer. He's quick to say it's about Oppenheimer. It's not celebrating the atom bomb. It's talking about the atom bomb. It's not saying he was right. It's exploring how he felt. It's Oppenheimer's perspective. It's Oppenheimer's movie. It's Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. And again, I just... IDGAF, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I, but you still have a lot of thoughts and opinions. I still on have this, a lot of thoughts so and opinions. So we'll be yeah. getting all of those, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, um, like, op, I think that 
if this movie had not been made by Christopher Nolan, I think truly nobody would have not 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 about the movie like itself, but just about the concept. Um, because Oppenheimer, I like, is a historical figure, but I like I had heard the name, but couldn't have told you like what he did or really anything about him. Um, but because. Christopher Nolan directed, you know, things like The Prestige and The Dark Knight and Interstellar, these movies that really have like a big following behind them and have a lot of fans. I think we had a lot of people who were going to see Oppenheimer that would not have seen it if this was just, you know, like one of your random Oscar uh, sort of biopics. Like if this was The Darkest Hour I don't think people would have gone and seen it. And then on top of that, you have the Barbie parallel where I think there was lots of fans of Barbie who, because of the meme Barbenheimer, went to see Oppenheimer that normally would not have seen it. So, I mean, and I think that goes both directions. Like, I think there's also Oppenheimer fans who went and saw Barbie. But I don't. Absolutely no chance. (laughs) But I don't think nearly to the same level. So I sort of feel like Christopher Nolan got very lucky that this movie has been as successful as it is because on paper, it does not seem like a super fun watch. It doesn't seem that interesting. It's a three-hour movie about a scientist who created the atomic bomb. His life was like dramatic in some ways, but not in like super particularly interesting ways um but it's based off of this book american prometheus by kai bird and martin j sherwin which i have not read will not be reading but (laughs) i listened to a podcast where they were talking about it and i think the book is very methodical and it's really long and goes into all of these characters in like great detail and from what they were saying the book is sort of slow moving and really goes into the weeds. And so they were talking, cause some of them on the podcast, like hadn't seen the movie yet when they were discussing it. And they were like, we, I, I don't understand how he's going to turn this into a movie that's sort of like it all action oriented because like this book is so long and sort of boring or like not that much is, interesting is happening from like a filmic sort of perspective um because aside from the one atomic bomb sequence there's not like a action kind of things that are going on and they and the man on the podcast who had seen the movie said well basically what he does is he just takes the entirety of the book and puts it on like a speed train and just like runs through it like every character in the book is in the movie they're all played by famous people and we're just sort of like rattling through these different things that happened and that that's kind of like how it maintains momentum for three hours and so you're not getting the depth of any sort of one of these characters aside from Oppenheimer for the most part, we're just like buzzing through this life and really like only paying attention to him. So I can see like how he's like, well, it's not about other things. It's about Oppenheimer because in a lot of ways it sort of is to the detriment, I think of the movie because we don't get to know really any of the characters, maybe Robert Downing Jr. Like slightly, but really it's a lot of time spent on him and sort of just like, racing through his life in yeah. rapid pace. Did you know anything about Oppen- Like, what was your sort of, like, knowledge level, I guess, going into this? I mean, probably, like, introductory. I knew him. I knew he, you know, did the Trinity Project, the Trinity Test Manhattan Project. I knew about him and his little, uh, little bomb that could. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't something I studied. It wasn't something I was interested in. Honestly, my frustration with it is just a continued irritance in how we mythologize or kind of prioritize telling the nuanced stories of these complicated white dudes who really ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. And yeah, I can understand that this movie takes on a sort of nuanced approach where it's like, oh, look at this. Isn't it bad that this all came from you know, like it, it's like a movie about men in rooms making plans without really uh, in, being interested in the cost, cost and consequence on everyone else in the world, quite literally here. And so it's not that Nolan's celebrating it. I I can definitely recognize the 
anxiety the film is watching this horrible thing unfold and being like why isn't anyone really stopping this it's not it's not saying like yay he stopped the war yay the atom bomb but it is platforming a person who did great harm without really exploring that harm in a meaningful way outside of Oppenheimer's own perspective and i think that was what was most frustrating isn't like that i was expecting a sort of apologetic or empathetic look at the, you know, Japanese victims or even the victims of the testing site and the f- nuclear fallout that have has been plaguing them for generations now. But it was just like so weirdly hyper fixated on this dude and his like mm, feelings as he like got caught up in something that it started to feel kind of like not apologetic, but sort of like, why am I giving time to like explore how this dude felt about something? Like he does not, he becomes the least interesting figure the instant they solve the bomb and decide to set it off. You know, it's like, this is an atrocity and I don't find it compelling to explore how he felt about said atrocity. Yeah, no, I felt that a lot as well in this. The... Like, on every technical level, I think this is such a well-done movie. Like, it's gorgeous. All the, cr- the you know, below-the-line categories, the the sets, the costumes. I think the actors all do a really good job. Like, the this music. Like, it's such a beautiful movie to watch that I don't want to, like, knock any of that. Very similarly, I think, to, like, Barbie. Like, the top-level craftsmanship that can be put together. But... Yeah, I have a lot of questions sort of about, like, why this story? Why now? Like, what's exactly the point of telling it? Um, And I think I know the answers to some of those questions that Christopher Nolan would give, but I'm not necessarily sure that they're the right answers. Uh, So I guess to set up, like, the plot of this movie. Well, I mean, even to that point, I just want to say, like, I get a lot of the criticism where they're like, like someone points out like in this three-hour film, there's not a single Japanese person, not a single perspective of that. And all the film bros are like, and it's like, I'm not expecting Christopher Nolan to be the one to tell the story of like the bomb in Japan. It's more that it's like, if you want to condemn a choice and show the cost that these men wrought on the world, like maybe actually have the balls to like feature the victims, not in like, an exploitative way, but almost like maybe instead of intercutting like a bomb going off or or focusing on him realizing like what a nuclear blast would do to a white woman, like have the balls to intercut scenes of Japanese families or like flash forward to the cancerous, like, I don't know, like I just think there were ways to kind of add depth instead of just nuance to a single man. And Christopher Nolan just never even considered those because it wasn't part of his story that he seemed to enjoy telling, which was, wow, Oppenheimer, what a complex hero, dude, you know? Yeah. Well, and I felt a lot of those same feelings because, like, I just visited Japan and part of the, like, sort of prep that I did in going over there was I read a bunch of books about Japan and... Um, and so many of those were about World War II. I watched a bunch of movies um, that were made in Japan. And, like, that was such a, a horrific event. And, you know, like, um, The New Yorker, after it, ran this piece that was, like, the whole um, issue that's now the book called uh, Hiroshima. And it's just a terrifying sort of tale of these six people who survived the bombing and what it was like living there in the days, weeks, months that followed and just like the horrific, horrific, horrific things that happened. And yeah, so to have that kind of in the back of my mind while watching this movie as a very vivid recollection of like what all happened in Japan and how that played out, I think did put me in a really different mind space than if you were somebody who like hadn't really thought about that that much since high school or whatever. But to get into the plot, because I feel like that, (laughs) like, 
also yeah, yeah. in in choosing how they set up the or how Christopher Nolan set up the movie, I think it also yes. speaks a lot to like what he wanted to do, what his goals were, and why he chose this project in the first place. Because on one hand, we are getting Oppenheimer's life story chronologically displayed. He's a young what physicist? Is that what I guess he yeah. would be? Uh, and he's like working on these different things and he, you know, is a genius and he's getting smarter and he's interacting with these other physicists. And then, um, you know, it comes to their attention that, oh, like maybe stuff that he's working on could create this bomb, which would be helpful in World War Two. And so the government sort of uh, co-ops him or hires him to put together this settlement in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico that's going to work on this top secret bomb. And they create this bomb. And, uh, you know, at various points, in the process they're like is this good should we should we make this Eh." but they sort of like brush that aside and keep going then they make the bomb they test the bomb in the desert and that's sort of like the big scene of the movie obviously we know from history that the bomb then gets dropped on japan kills lots of people like you know either like finalizes world war ii i guess and then we move on from that and oppenheimer uh it's like becomes this big historical figure, sort of a celebrity of sorts in the fifties and sixties, because he's known as the person who sort of ended world war two. He created this bomb and we are watching him kind of like deal with the, uh, like moral ramifications of that and how he is thinking about it. And sort of once tides sort of turn on the atomic bomb and also you know just like politics change and so people decide that they're going to sort of like try to blame Oppenheimer for things and that's where we get to this frame story which is a senate confirmation hearing for a cabinet member played by Robert Downey Jr. and It all sort of hinges upon his relationship with Oppenheimer and the fact that he revoked Oppenheimer's security clearance, which is like, like even watching it, it like it sounds complicated when I say it watching it. It was also very complicated. It's a (laughs) lot of different like political sort of ramifications. It's basically around the Red Scare and this like anti-communism like. Yeah, there's this whole you know. communist plotline because uh, Oppenheimer was like friends with communists and married <laughs> to a communist and maybe was a communist when he was like younger. And and because Nolan loves like a twist, he loves, a, a, you know, an, making something more complicated than it is. It's like we're getting this frame story, which is in black and white, even though the rest of the movie is in color. And we are like learning the details of this sort of like trial that Oppenheimer was put on regarding his involvement with the bomb and also with communism. And so we keep like cutting back to that even as we're getting the chronological plot line of his life. And then it sort of comes down to this verdict of like well was Oppenheimer a good guy was Oppenheimer a bad guy was Robert Johnny Jr's character good or bad like and sort of reckoning with like what like who's to blame for the bomb was the bomb well, a good it's thing it's not was even like a about the thing? bomb it's like that whole side story which is really like the final hour of the film is focused on this um kangaroo court that Oppenheimer's put through as well as Strauss's, um, you know, hearing. And it's interesting because, yeah, the whole, their question was never like, wow, why'd you do this? Like, what a horrible bomb. It was that they wanted to pin him as a potential, like, hazard for leaking uh, state secrets to Russia in this new Cold War that was starting. Because the anti-communism came up because some of the some of the work done and the Manhattan Project got into the hands of Russia, so they were building their own bomb. And then on top of it, they wanted to start building a hydrogen bomb. And so the whole like third act of the film is this group of dudes who aren't like really concerned at all about the cost of war, but more frustrated that Oppenheimer started to speak against it and tried to like say, you shouldn't do this. And then they were like, well, how do we get him out of here? Let's pretend 
let's accuse him of being a communist so we can remove his um, security clearance. And so that's the whole thing. And then it turns out Strauss is the one who really led the charge against him because he was personally affronted by Oppenheimer and felt like he'd been insulted years before. And this was his like final revenge. So it, it turns into this weird petty boys dick measuring contest around like politics and communism and the Red Scare. And it's like very strange because the emotional through line of the first half of the movie is very much like, you know, the looming doom of atomic war and um, or nuclear war and this atomic bomb and like Oppenheimer's guilt around it or considerations around it. So it really like loses steam in that third half, which is very weird to me and interesting of like, well, why he was trying to make us care about this communist storyline. But see, I like, yeah, I like to quote Clue, I think communism is a sort of a red herring here in it all where they're using the the government is using the communism to sort of like get rid of Oppenheimer or discredit him. But a lot of that is because he decided that he didn't want to work on the bomb more or or was speaking out against like sort of future uses of it and but part of the part of the problem that I kind of had with that is I I guess that I wanted the movie to come down like harder on the bomb and on Oppenheimer. Like, I feel like it sort of wants to have its cake and eat it too in a lot of ways where like, do we need a movie about Oppenheimer? Like, I don't necessarily know, but I think if we do, the, the, the movie needs to kind of be like, look at this guy who loved science, who got dragged into the, or, you know, like sort of got wooed into creating this terrible thing. And, you know, maybe he regretted it. Maybe he didn't, but it was this awful, awful, awful thing that happened. And this is sort of like a cautionary tale to all involved of like, do not let your ego get the better of you. Like, do not let uh, the love of science or of like, discovering things get the better of you like this has actual repercussions in the real world that affects millions of people and this Oppenheimer character was sort of like taken for a ride and ended up screwing over a bunch of people and he is not somebody that we should be looking up to like he's actually one of the worst types of people and I think that rather than do that the movie's sort of like yeah he like was bad but then he kind of like realized it but also it's like he capitalized on the fame that he got from it so it's like how bad did he actually feel and like he was really a genius even though like maybe some of the things he did were bad but actually sort of the things that he did were used by these evil politicians and I don't know I think it's trying too hard to like make Oppenheimer seem sympathetic or to protect Oppenheimer and I felt like at the end of the day it was it didn't do what the movie needed it to do if it was going to be a successful like Oppenheimer story in yeah 2023 I think if he'd cut that hour with like the senate hearings and the sad kangaroo court and like poor Oppenheimer being misunderstood and betrayed by his friends like whatever yeah <laughs> if it had very ended, like woe is me yeah at the if end. it had ended by the trinity test and like his sort of like realization of what he'd done I think I would have been more forgiving of it because really I I can see the argument that Christopher Nolan's like central argument here is what his wife yells at him after he's caught cheating and his mistress commits suicide where she's like you don't get to commit sin and then ask all of us to feel sorry for you when there are consequences like i am on board with that sentiment and i think that's an interesting way to frame a biopic where we're usually much more celebratory and kind of like wow trying times but look at what they did type thing um and so I, I could. But that's sort of exactly what the movie's asking you to do. Yeah, it's just like it's weird because on one hand I get it, but on the other hand you're still featuring a movie about this sad white dude who didn't want to stop and think about things, even though he was given ample opportunity to be like, "Huh, is this the right path?" And he's all like, "Oh, it's theory, it's theory, it's theory." And then in practice, he's suddenly like, "Wait, shoot, that's a big bomb." And it's like, 
yeah, no doy. Like, like what were you thinking, Oppenheimer? And I can get the argument that that's what Christopher Nolan wanted us to experience. It's the, the audacity of this, like, you know, the criminality here and like the, the, the way that there's no simple answers. And it's, and it's, you know, these men who are so brilliant that they compartmentalize. They're like, issues and there's there's these quandaries of moral levels that are blah 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 at the end of the day if your like big moment is this huge bomb and you go around town being like this is all practical effect it's not cgi at all i'm going to doubt your intention with this film and your ability to carry on an uh condemning approach when you're still celebrating the capabilities of it you know what I mean like I think that's what it boils down to is like I don't trust Christopher Nolan to really like care about the cost of this bomb as much as he cares about the journey to making the bomb well it's I think that Christopher Nolan and Oppenheimer have this like level of awe of genius Mm -hmm. that's kind of like look these people are they're so smart and they know these things and isn't this like miraculous that this happened and then yes it was sort of like used poorly but at deep down we also have to appreciate the minds at work here and sort of the fact that we were able to come up with this kind of thing and i feel like Yet the actual takeaway from this should be either like look at the political corruption that takes these like smart people and corrupts them or like maybe there's certain genius that's not, you know, like maybe just because you have something doesn't mean you have to use it. Like there are these people who are smart, but maybe you sort of say I could make this bomb, but I'm not going to because of the answers and obviously like that didn't happen so you couldn't really make a movie where that happened but i think it just needed to come down harder on or just don't make it don't make oppenheimer make the story about the guy who was like i don't want to work on this or make the story about the farmers that were freaking pushed out by the u.s government so they could build their stupid trinity test site and then you know dealt with the fallout without ever being compensated or taught or anything like you know it's just like the least interesting through route of this story for me and it's just like i don't know i'm so over this like complex hero like it journey i can like i i do think it's hard though in some ways like like if if i had my way christopher nolan would have just like written another tenet or another you know something else (laughs) and just like picked a completely different project but i do think like okay he read this book Uh, I think probably the idea of doing the bomb sequence was interesting to him. There are sort of like complexities here of this character that would be interesting to write and have actors play. Like there's a lot going on. And I do think like there are certain stories that it's like, okay, if you're going to tell this, it's just going to be tricky. Like, I think I would like a movie much better that was like by a Japanese director and, you know, was focusing on the Japanese side of things rather than this. But it's like, okay, if you are Christopher Nolan and you do sort of want to like tell the story, like how do you get into it? It does make the most sense to do Oppenheimer. And also it's like, this is a movie that's set in the 1930s and 40s about these scientists. Like most of them were white people. The, like you can't, Like, there's only so much... Like, if you... Like, obviously, they could do blind casting and, you know, cast different people. But if all of these people are playing historical figures for the most part, like, I... Well, that's the thing is he, like, picked and chose what he showed because there were women working on this and all they got was a throwaway line about, like, I can work around the uranium, too, even though I have a uterus. Right. And it's, like, he's more than happy to fill his, like, background characters with people of color and women in his – in Oppenheimer's little classrooms and, like, little communist parties. So clearly there's something going on there. And it's, like, even his writing of the female characters in Oppenheimer's lives, like, just rattles me. because that's – yeah. His, like, wife was an actual, like, biologist, I think, on the project. But instead here she's just played up as this, like, you know, drunken, depressed housemaker who's, like, mad that her life has, I don't know, forced her into motherhood or something. 
totally left unexplored. I don't know. It was just like, okay, like what? <laughs> don't even get me started well, on Florence Pugh. Yeah, like that's that's honestly, I think of everything in this movie, the most damning part for me. Like the fact that he chose to tell Oppenheimer's story in the first place, like, okay, like not my pick, but like, I get like, okay, let's just say for the sake of argument, like that's the movie he's making, like, and move on. Yeah. The fact that he like didn't come down hard enough on Oppenheimer and like sort of didn't give me the message that I wanted. It's like, okay yes but he does very much come down at the end of the movie as like the atomic bomb like was bad that this guy regrets it that we shouldn't have dropped it so it's like he does get to the correct point i think even if he doesn't quite hit it hard enough but i don't know Um, if he's even arguing that because i think it's more oh this was supposed to end all wars and now that it didn't me feels bad you know (laughs) <laughs> but I think, I but there's a, but like the final line or whatever is like, you know, we, we started this chain yeah, of yeah. events and like, will it ever end? And I think that to me, it sort of reeks of somebody who has a lot of like existential dread yes. and dread about the end of the world and is trying to figure out like what to do with that, which seems like a very Christopher Nolan thing to have. Yeah. And you know that there just are these people who are like sort of fixated on the end of the world and these things that are happening and and that's why this movie seems to be made in my mind but and like i think that's why he chose oppenheimer because like he wanted to tell that story and sort of tell that message even if i don't know that he did it correctly and in the right way but all of these people online and reviews have just been raving, raving, raving. Oppenheimer's great. Best movie ever. Like top 10 of the decade. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. The raves for Oppenheimer, I feel like, have been just as strong, at least on my like side of Twitter, as the raves for Barbie. Like they're coming from very different people in very different camps. But like they are both as sort of laudatory. Yeah. And I think that the problem with Oppenheimer is that the Florence Pugh character and the Emily Blunt character are both horrifically written. (laughs) Like they're so bad. Everything they say is bad. Every scene they're in is bad. Like everything that they have to do is terrible. And from the podcast where I listened to about the book, both of those women were like very interesting, very like fully drawn out characters in the book that did not make it to the screen. And Christopher Nolan famously is bad at writing women characters. Like if you think about any of the movies that he's done. everyone dies, then my child dies too. right tenet that's i feel like the weakest <laughs> part try, yeah. um and something like you know like um the maggie gyllenhaal character in the dark knight is terrible you yeah. have all of these like dead wives and things i mean yeah it's just he doesn't know what to do with those yeah. characters and rather than like getting some help or I don't know trying to spend more time like this is a three hour long movie like yeah. you could have dedicated a decent amount of time to these two women basically and in the entire movie and instead we get these like weird scenes and I think that the actors like Emily Blunt was like I have four days on set like I will be using every second of screen time to the max like she's doing most acting I have ever seen from somebody in a film like it's so over the top it's almost a little scary and then Florence Pugh is like this weird like she's like a manic pixie dream girl, yes honestly. like a manic pixie dream girl but of like the most deranged like, like sexual <laughs> sort of level like it's not like cutesy Zoe Deschanel it's no. like slightly terrifying and i just i don't know how you can say oh this movie's a 10 out of 10 when those scenes are in it like that part is objectively bad i see no way around arguing that like and you have to dock at points like even if you love everything else in a movie like the women are terrible and i think the fact that he does that so badly like leaks into the rest of the stuff because i don't think that oppenheimer as a character is developed as much as he should be in a three hour long movie. And I think part of that is because he has these relationships with women who are very important in his life, who we don't really like understand why, because they're such poorly drawn characters of people. Well, it seems by the end, the argument is that he's just a selfish, egotistical, like, 
Yeah, it's dumb because I remember the instant Florence Pugh shows up. It's like, oh wow, this sexual tension, like instant, She's like instantly in bed. Sanskrit while instantly they're having bed. sex. It's and like, just, what is this? Then <laughs> they're like naked, and Killian is like, those sex scenes were freaking powerful. They're not gratuitous. They were vital in this movie. The relationship with Jean is the most crucial emotional parts of the film. It's like, sure. But why is she only vital to you when you're orgasming? Like, it's just, it's so frustrating to watch and to think, like, I'm supposed to feel some sort of depth in these women that feel so, so far away from reality to me. Like, yes, she's just, especially the Jean character, especially yeah, Florence Pugh. so bad. Who's just, like, she's flouncing around naked in 90% of her films, I mean, her scenes. And then at one point is, like, the the, like... Emily Blunt isn't given much to do in the latter half of the movie during this like kangaroo court, except for when she has one scene. <laughs> except for when uh, Oppenheimer has to describe that he went to DC to hook up with Gene, not to sell secrets to the communists, and so he confesses that he had sex with her in front of his wife. Like in front of his wife, he confesses that she he had sex with her, and then suddenly Florence Pugh shows up as a ghost and is making eye contact with Emily Blunt as she gyrates naked on up, <laughs> and it was just so unsubtle and also such an uninteresting like addition to the film. Like oh jealousy, oh this sort of like haunting of this woman she could never be. Like it was just like. Oh my gosh, the lowest hanging fruit of like how to make a woman an interesting storyline. Like it's just immediately like I just laughed out loud. I was like, this is just bad <laughs> storyboarding. And, I, and I'm like, uh, like he has to know that this is a problem for him because yeah. his most successful movie is Dunkirk, which has no women in it. <laughs> And I feel like that is sort of by design. It's yeah. like he picked settings where there wouldn't be a woman. But in this, yeah, it is such an emotional integral part to the movie or like should be. And he can't get it done. And I just don't know why he doesn't have like a somebody else like co-write the script yeah, or something. You know, it's like, reading. Yeah, yeah, it's like just get somebody else involved in this process because yeah. these scenes are so bad and we could have gone without a couple of you know scenes of them putting together a bomb or the scene where he almost poisons his teacher with an apple you know it's like there were other scenes in the movie that I feel like we could have cut and spent more time on the Florence Pugh character and would have been much better off for it I feel like part of the reason why Tenet works is because the like main it's like the main there's sort of like almost no relationships in that movie. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. everybody's so like robotic yeah. that the fact that uh, Elizabeth Debicki is also kind of like not a real person like makes sense because everybody's kind of not a real yeah. person. And but this movie we're going way out of our way to try to like make Robert Downey Jr. a sympathetic <laughs> character. But like we're not with... The Not women. even sympathetic. I like, know. I don't want these film bros to come at me and think I missed the point on how these were just, like, they weren't good guys. Like, it's not even that they're Do sympathetic. Do we have a lot of film bros like... listening to our podcast? <laughs> I hope not, but they'll find the hashtag. I think they've lost a long <laughs> – we've lost them a long time ago. Probably... But it's more that it's just, like – it's annoying that we have to sit with their complexity. Like, I do not care. I don't care. I'm sorry. I do not care about the complexity. It's like – and it's this thing we do as a white society where we just – we don't care if we're – there's this quote. There's this quote in this book that it's like, we don't care if we're the villain or the bad guy or the villain or the good guy, the villain or the hero, as long as we're the main character. And I feel like that's so true because you wouldn't get a mm. biopic about like Osama bin Laden or like <laughs> – you know, the first, oh, the guy who found out how you could gas, you know, uh, entire populations and at once. Like, there are things that we don't touch because it's like, whoa, what? That cost us something. But no, we're happy to sit here and watch three hours of Oppenheimer. And sure, we'll feel nervous and scared as he imagines, like, the dried up corpses of uh, the victims of this crime or watching a woman's face melt off. And like, I think that scene was powerful because of the emotion and the sort of like fury, but it wasn't lost on me that he was trying to spin Oppenheimer to be like, wait, why are you guys so excited when he was the one who was excited 20 minutes ago in the film? So it's just yeah. like, 
It's I mean, annoying that they want us to feel bad when the frame turns on, what if this happens to us next? It's just I, disturbing. I I thought the best scene of the movie was the sort of town hall yeah. scene where you can tell that Oppenheimer has like realized that he's sort of made a mistake, but like everybody else hasn't. Yeah. And so the way that it's shot, I think is really well. And the music and sort of like yeah, the terrifying. camera. Yeah. It's, 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 I think the most like chilling it's just like nightmare and yeah, memorable part of the film. And I wanted more of that sort of energy in the back half. And it's kind of like we get that one scene and then it, and then we move back to like, oh yeah, Oppenheimer is like, you know, fine. Well, and or it's like, like, you get, he's like, gotten better. You get like President, what is it, Truman? Oh, being Truman, like, yeah. Oh, thanks for your help. And he's like, I feel like I have blood on my hands. And it's yeah. like immediately trying to pot, to put Oppenheimer as this moral you know, right now and everyone else has gone bloodlust and and just like crazy and has been like the the wrong side of humanity has been fueled by this. And that's I resent that because I don't know if there's proof that Oppenheimer was that I mean, I think that there was to a certain degree. Yeah, but yeah. I think but I somebody in the movie says it at some point. Maybe it's the Emily Blunt character, is like, you have benefited from this yeah. so much. Like you've been a celebrity and gotten all of these things. It's yeah. not like that happened and then immediately you were like, I'm going around and I'm denouncing this yeah. and I'm not taking any money and I'm what it's like you lived a lavish life yeah. off of the fact that you were the inventor of the atomic bomb and then like had some misgivings or whatever later on but I don't know there it wasn't like the full remorse that yeah, I think just like there's just like this level of self-importance in his like back half of his life where he's you know losing his rights but then it's like oh well I wanted to tell my full story and not fight it so that one day history would remember me and like the complicated blah 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 and I just okay. could not care and then but then it ends its final end is back at the you know right after it oh Einstein Einstein pops up it's right after the bomb was dropped and he's like he's disturbed by it and like the scene ends with him being like I can't take it in like the first person screenplay is like I can't take it anymore and as soon as I can't I close my eyes cut to black and it's like well that's a lazy out too because you're like churning up all these like moral quandaries and like expecting us to sit with it and to feel like wow what are these consequences? How do we feel? What would I have done in a situation where Hitler could have gotten the bomb first? It's just like it it wants to pretend it put in the work, but it actually didn't because it doesn't feature or focus or explore any of the actual costs. It's just a moral dilemma for some dude who's so far removed from the crimes of his own choosing at that point that it's just a fun question for him to consider. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we have beaten this <laughs> horse to death. The fact that neither of us really like this movie, or I mean, I probably, I like it more than you do, I'm sure. Yeah. But like, it's well made. Should it have been made? Whatever. What I want to get into now is the fact that there are 9 million famous people in it, and they all <laughs> yeah. pop up and they have these different roles. And I have thoughts on it, starting with. Something I brought up on Letterboxd. You've been loving to just troll my <laughs> Letterboxd reviews on these things and then bring stuff up. But I said Don't that I think it. that the best performance Don't. in this movie is from Matt Damon. <laughs> the best performance. And 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 I feel like I've been having between Rami air did a better job than between <laughs> air and this. Well, okay, here's the thing. Like, Matt Damon really doesn't give, like, a dramatic performance in it. But I feel like I have realized, like, oh, this is why Matt Damon is, like, a star. This is why he's a Hollywood A-lister. Like, he has this certain, uh, I don't know, like, ease and sort of, like, he's a... of of. There's a million famous people in this movie, and they are all playing real people who are sort of, like, not doing much of anything and of them all I feel like he has so much charisma whenever he's on screen I was more excited I thought he was fun and I really liked him in Air earlier this year (laughs) which I think is a similar movie where no a similar movie in like it's all of these random white guys it's like a lot of celebrities and I just thought that he like carried that so well and really and all of his scenes in this movie I 
found myself sort of like either like smiling to myself or like chuckling. I th- I just think he has like a good sort of comedic quality to him. And I also during the movie had the thought of I think Matt Damon is one of the few Hollywood A-listers of his era who looks like a normal person and his age like a normal person does. Like, he looks like a dad. He's not, like, super hot or super buff. And I was like, I appreciate that Matt Damon, I mean, obviously was wow, very attractive so at one point, he just but, like, is normal. to not say the F word anymore, and suddenly you're well, on board. <laughs> no, I'm not saying Matt Damon is the best person ever. I'm just saying I like him in things, and yeah. I'm sort of like, wait, I've, like, come back around to realizing, like, why... Matt Damon is famous. See, like I he think has he's the charisma. Same in everything. He's the same in this that he is in Ocean's Eleven. I don't find him compelling. No, because he's think so nervous he's in Ocean's Eleven. No, he's not. He's like indifferent almost. He's like playing it cool, and he does the same thing here where he's like, "I don't know these scientists, but I'm going to choose you because I think you're edgy too." And like, I don't no, know. I just Matt don't Damon's find so him that good. good. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was good in this. I was like, oh, yeah, he can be a See, serious actor. Yeah, but Robert Downey Jr. is doing Robert Downey Jr. in this, which I mean, that maybe it's is... the same thing to your <laughs> point. But I feel like he is giving like the Iron Man. What? Like he's always. No, I don't, know. I don't think so. I, I think mean, I, I also did like think he's good. Politician like very well and. Like holding his cards back and then being annoyed when it doesn't work out for him. Like I thought it was interesting watching him work because he often doesn't do these serious roles lately. Um, so well, honestly, he hasn't really he was done very much at all. Liked. Yeah, I liked him as well. I thought that he was good. I mean, Killian Mal- is very talented. Like he's very, yes. he's very watchable, staring at a screen and his eyes but being like, so "Am I bad? Am I good?" Understated you know? <laughs> in some way. You know, what? it's like his character for being the main character. I think is like so in his mind a lot that it's less it's a less interesting performance i guess in my yeah thinking than some of the other people who had more to do i was emily surprised blunt, by the love for emily blunt i thought she was just okay well she's doing a lot of acting yeah like i feel like, like every scene that she comes in is like she's doing something it honestly yeah, reminded me of did you ever watch dark waters the like mark ruffalo um, Teflon yes. in the water movie, and how Anne Hathaway has like seven yeah. scenes as the wife and in every one you're like wow Anne like you were <laughs> trying to get the Oscar nomination out of like six pages of dialogue yeah. that's how I felt about Emily Blunt here she was like I really oh, gotta I feel sell like this Truman did a better job I wanted to punch him the instant oh he was yeah screen. no him as well the other Rami Malek honestly, popping up was literally hilarious to no me. the the most shocking part was when Casey Affleck made an appearance. I recognize his. And I was just like, "What? Like, like, uh, like, why is he here, everybody?" And it was also weird because the way that they, like, the way that his role worked, it was sort of like a. They kept it as a surprise, so you knew it's like, who are they meeting with? They're meeting with somebody. Who is it? And then it's like, oh, it's Casey Affleck. Like. Yeah, I didn't think it was the the biggest jump scare of the year. Like, yeah, truly, I can't imagine. (laughs) I think they wanted it sort of to be like when Matt Damon popped up in Interstellar. (laughs) Like, like I feel like that's the energy they were going for. But when Matt Damon pops up in Interstellar, it's like, oh, Matt Damon is like famous, and we like him, and also he's playing a villain going very against type. And but in this, it's like Casey Affleck is. Like I don't know, a he's minor exactly character, and he's be. Casey Affleck. He's yeah. a slimy, trying to gotcha kind of character. Yeah, I also just like, yeah, it was like this whole like intercutting of the, the explosion and stuff. It felt like really heavy handed at times. This movie overall, um, very unsubtle. The Trinity test, like, congrats to him. He blew up a bomb. Like, I don't. I didn't feel like it was that spectacular, like noticeably. Oh, I really liked that scene. Like, not saying that. that. I'm saying, I'm saying him making a big deal. Like, this was practical. It wasn't CGI. Like, I don't think. Oh, I feel like I felt like that spoke to me. I mean, did you see it in IMAX? No, but see, like, (laughs) it's wild that this movie was. It's wild (laughs) that this movie was shot in IMAX because truly, the only scene that it mattered for was the bomb sequence like the rest of it it's like okay like why am i watching this in this format it's 
strange. But the bomb sequence was very cool to watch. And we've talked about this. But that's what I feel is icky. You shouldn't want to think, wow, what a triumph. Uh, Well, I didn't think – I didn't necessarily think – Or like that's so cool or like awesome. I I guess – I mean, obviously, I think the bomb is bad. No, I know. I know. I know. I'm just saying that's what's weird to me is it's like this jerking off of him like being able to pull it off is like, well, cool. Like, wait, I just, I don't know. Well, I, can't I don't, I don't know about it. that though. I, Cause I feel like that is maybe like, cause then that's like, okay, well we, oh, we can't watch like horror movies anymore because it's like people die. I don't know. Like that feels like we're getting into murky territory, but I do think that like having watched all of these Marvel movies and fast and the furious and, you know, like it was, it's so refreshing to me to see like actual practical effects at work and a bomb that's like, wow, that like actually looks like it is really happening. And if there's dust blowing around, it's dust on set. And if there's makeup on somebody, it's makeup. And it's not like in Marvel where they're on a green screen and the makeup is all applied in post effects and nobody has ever seen each other until the premiere. Like I, I did appreciate the crafts of this movie a lot. And I think that's something that Christopher Nolan always does a really good job with. Mm-hmm. So I will say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just meant more. Yeah. Again, it comes down to the existence of it. I'm just like, yeah, congrats. Yeah, no. I don't, like, I don't do we think this movie needed to be made? No. Like, I think we can agree on that. And I, yeah. and like I had political misgivings with Barbie last week, I had similar political misgivings with this movie and that I'm like, what are we like? But Barbie's a fantasy. Okay. Barbie. Yes. Barbie is a made up story. That's just meant to allow women to celebrate what Uh, they like for once in their mother effing lives. Matt, I cannot draw a a comparison to the moral weight of Barbie versus Oppenheimer. Like I just, I can't take you seriously. I can't. Barbie is a movie that is made to support Capitalist corporations, corporations. and those capitalist corporations are the same evil entities that have destroyed the world in multiple other ways and supported the atomic bomb research. So (laughs) I like, are they the same thing? No, but also I'm just saying that means you can't watch. No, that I can't watch any movie. Yes, no, I'm well aware of that fact. I'm just saying, like, it's not. I think that both Barbie and Oppenheimer are really great movies in various ways and do really great things in their crafts. I think they have talented actors. I just think both of them sort of in the premise of the film and therefore built out in the script have sort of like a fly in the ointment that was always going to be a problem and that I'm not sure there was ever really a way to fix it in what they were trying to do. Like I think that trying to tell the story of feminist Barbie within the confines of the capitalist structures that they had with Mattel. I wasn't, it wasn't going to work. And I think trying to tell like an anti-war story that is also like about the glorification of this man who created the atomic bomb, like was never going to work for me either. So yeah, I just don't think Barbie was meant to be an anti-capitalist movie. I think maybe well, that was something you projected there where it's like if they're going to be feminist, that means they also have to be anti-capitalist. But it's like there's – Look, we can't get back into Barbie Okay, again. I'm not getting back. I didn't bring it up. But I what you just said saying... is that – but Oppenheimer is a real – intentionally meant to be informative. It's like you said, so many people went into this not knowing who Oppenheimer is, and now they walked away thinking they know everything about Oppenheimer. It's not just entertainment. It is meant to say something about history and capture something real about history. And so well, Barbie's the per- also meant to say no. something. There's a whole monologue in the middle that's like, <laughs> we're going to teach you feminism. Generalities I'm, like, are different than specificities. Okay, so if if a biopic wants to be intentional in its messaging, it has to be aware of its like big picture. Barbie is a fantasy set to a fantasy about a very specific fantasy. So it's like the yeah, expectations but- are different. The 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 needs to uh, you know deal with the source material are so vastly incomparable to each other. I don't necessarily think that's true because I think that the power of storytelling and the 
way that we convey ideas in this world in some ways are just as powerful in fictional storylines as they are in real right, life stories. Right, but Barbie isn't yes. setting out to I'm be the, like, the savior okay, of all obviously, cinema. Obviously, you are going to like Barbie way more than <laughs> yeah. Oppenheimer. We knew this from the jump. I'm just, I'm just saying to, I, that I'm in my opinion, <laughs> they're level. like... I do, I I'm just saying I felt similarly about both of them. Yeah. And that sort of like when everybody was uh, so obsessed with both of these movies, I was kind of like I I am not on that level with either of these yeah. and I don't think I will ever get there no matter how many lovely people who have listened to our podcast have sent me DMs trying to explain why <laughs> I have missed the point on Barbie and I need to why I'm DMs. sure Thank you. I'm sure that other people are are like if I mean the Oppenheimer audience doesn't listen to our podcast, so I don't think I'm going to be getting DMs from uh, rabid Oppenheimer I fans. Be, but should they be. manage to find me and send me DMs, I'm sure they'll be equally frustrated that I didn't <laughs> like this movie. But it, I'm just kind of like, whatever. The best movie that's come out in July is Talk to Me, and <laughs> that's all I have to say yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, and luckily which, we'll which get is, the which is and... which is nailing the very. Uh, a, a, a message that I can firmly stand behind, which is do not summon the dead mm. into your body. And yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good line in the sand for sure. Yes. Similarly, uh, Meg 2, maybe don't wake up prehistoric sharks. Like I think, you know, there right. are movies out there that are more palatably uh, clear We are not covering Meg 2 though, <laughs> because it doesn't have Ruby Rose, which, and her beanie, which was the <laughs> worst part about Meg. And the Meg is also, we're really like hitting our mark here i know the meg was also one of those movies like mission impossible six that we did right one. at the beginning um but yeah we our five-year anniversary i think has just passed so yes. next week we're doing a special edition episode <laughs> to celebrate that we're not exactly sure what we're doing yet but <laughs> i know exactly well i feel like we'd been pretty good for a while but barbie and oppenheimer i think really set us on a set us on a level but <laughs> Uh, well, we'll be back to bicker some more next week. Yeah, always. But yes, until then, follow us on social media. Leave us a review. Um, you can send me DMs if you want <laughs> to on Instagram. I'm Huff Matt. <laughs> oh, you can follow me on Letterbox and stalk my oh, reviews, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, send yeah. me snotty texts about them. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways you can engage with us. <laughs> always. Do you have anything else to I'm? Say, Shelby, do you have oh, some no. Sanskrit I, you'd like to read? I have to take a break. I have to go drink some water or touch some grass. Like, I have to center myself on the <laughs> on something positive again. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.